Hello and a big welcome um, to you if you're joining us online or either um, with us over in Shoreham or in Hangleton there in Oasis Building or in Hove actually or in here in Brighton. It's great to have you with us and I hope you feel right at home with us today. If we've never met, uh, my name is Kenny McCush and along with my beautiful wife Nicola and three stunning girls, Faith and Lillian Grace and City Hope, we left Brighton in 2020 to go uh, plant a church in Belfast. Now, I know you might be thinking, why on earth would you do that in the middle of a global pandemic? And there was days, and probably is still days, where we think the same. But God, in all of his goodness and faithfulness, has carried us through and still is carrying us through there and has grown a great team around us, a team that love Jesus, a team that want to see his kingdom come to Belfast. And with all that being said, I just want to take this opportunity just to thank you. Thank you for all your prayers and support. Thank you for your letters. Thank you for your texts and emails. Thank you for your in-person visits. Thank you for your financial giving. But above all, I just want to thank you for standing shoulder to shoulder with us in prayer and praying that we see his kingdom come to Belfast and to set captives free and to see chains and, and, and sin fall off of people and run free in Christ. And I just want to thank you so much for your support. It's so good to be here with you this morning and such a privilege to open God's words um, together. And if you've been following Emmanuel Brighton over August, um, and the, especially the last three weeks, you've been saying we're doing a series of I could tell you one thing. And it's my joy to come this morning and wrap that up. And that is my type of preach. If I could tell you one thing, and that's really good for me for two reasons. Number one, I don't know that much. <laughs> and number two, well, I don't really say that much. So I think you're in for a good day and I'm in a good position today as well. As I've been thinking and praying over the last few weeks and just asking God, what should my one thing to tell Brighton, what should it be about? And I thought, well, surely it would have to be about church planting. And then I thought, well, I could probably give you more tips on how not to church plant. And if you want to hear more about that, Emma Dawson is going to collaborate and collect all our stories and mistakes as she sits and laughs at them and cries of them and celebrates with them. We're going to write a little book of an idiot's guide how to church plant. So keep your eyes peeled out for that one. So if you're here this morning and you're looking sweet church strategies or the best way to church plant, I'm not your guy. But there is one thing that I want to tell you this morning that has seen me through the last two years of church planting that has grounded me and took a hold of me. And it's off the back of an old preach that I've listened to. And it's this. It's the significance of being in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. Now, I love being in the presence of some mighty people. In fact, I used to, when we used to live here, I used to go doing a bit of jogging down in Brighton and I'd, I'd phone my mate Tyson and we'd do a bit of jogging down in the seafront, a wee bit of shadow boxing. And uh, if you knew my mate, his name's Tyson Fury and he's a two-time heavyweight world champion. And uh, to say we got a bit of attention when we jogged down there is an understatement. And then if I was, you know, a little bit dumb with Tyson and fancied a quick chat about football, I would phone my mate um, Paul, and that's Paul Gasgoin, a.k.a. Gaza. If you don't know him, he was a professional footballer 
for Tottenham and Newcastle and Rangers and an iconic player for England, especially in the 1990 World Cup and the 96 Euro Finals. So if I wanted a quick chat about football, I'd give Gaza a call and we'd go for a cuppa and chat about those things. And that's where I wanted to left that and make you think that they were good mates of mine. But the reality is, embarrassingly for me, is when I seen these guys on the street, I, um, I ran to them just to get a picture and to be in their presence. Um, especially with Tyson, um, we were down on the seafront and driving along and Tyson's ran past and I stopped the car, which we were going in the opposite direction, abandoned the car, which had all my family in it, darted across the road just to get a picture and to be in his presence. That was pretty awesome. But it's nothing, nothing compared to being in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. And that's what I want to take some time to look at this morning. I'm just going to, if you have your Bible with you, you'd love to open it up at Isaiah 6, and we're going to play that now for you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let me pray before we look at this text. Father God, I thank you that we can come in to your presence because of the work of the cross, because of what you've done for us, King Jesus. Thank you that we can come in to your presence this morning, God, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're here by your Spirit. And I ask, Holy Spirit, will you illuminate God's word to us this morning that it would have a dramatic effect on how we see God, a dramatic effect of how we live our lives. Amen. So right off the bat of this chapter, Isaiah tells us that it was the year that King 
Uzziah died. And what a way to start a chapter, you might be thinking. And you might be asking, well, why is that important? Well, it's very important if your name's Uzziah because you're dead. But for Isaiah and that nation, this was a huge deal. In fact, it was a huge time of mourning. And it was in the year of 740 BC and Uzziah became king at the grand old age of 16, which blows my mind. I, couldn't, I can't imagine me being a king at 16. God love that nation if that was the case. And he ruled for 52 years and he was one of the top five kings that Judea had. And as long as Uzziah was on the throne, it was a time of peace in the Cold War between Israel and the surrounding areas. It was a time of great prosperity. The people were A-OK -okay as long as King Uzziah was on the throne. And he had led Israel into many victorious battles. And it says in the Bible that he sought after God and done right in the sight of the Lord. I would say as resumes goes for kings, that's a, that's a pretty good resume. But the Bible tells us that he messed up in the end of his life, though, and God struck him down with leprosy, and he died alone in the wilderness. But that's a story for another day. But I reckon the main principle there is don't mess with God. And the chapter before that was chapter 5, where Isaiah paints us the picture that the nation was in a severe spiritual and moral crisis. Isaiah in chapter 5 tells us that a nation was so corrupt, and everything and everyone was in chaos and the nation was falling apart. Isaiah tells us the shocking injustice that was happening, that the leaders of that country were drunk and at parties while the nation was suffering, that the leaders were taking bribes instead of taking care of that nation, and that the rich were getting richer by buying all the land and the housing for their own benefits, and the poorer were getting poorer. And I don't know about you, but it must have been hard and confusing living in a time like that, right? Could you imagine? It must be hard wandering and just searching, where's the truth? Like, where is justice? Where do I find my hope and strength for the future? Who's in charge around here? And we pick up on this chapter where there's just great despair and great searching was in the air. A man that Isaiah have great reasons to be full of discouragement and despair at the beginning of this chapter. But look at what happens next. Isaiah, surrounded by earthly wreckage and mess, was left wondering what's next and where's the hope. And then God, full of mercy and compassion, steps in. God steps in and gives Isaiah a vision, a vision that would completely change Isaiah's life. A vision that would reveal God's great rescue plan for both Isaiah and for humanity. And it was this. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah, full of looking around and seeing that the earthly throne was empty and the nation was in uproar and God steps in and says, Hey, Isaiah, that's not a throne you need to be worrying about. Right now, this is the throne that you need to be worrying about. And I can tell you it's occupied and it always was and always will be. God was sitting on his throne high and lifted up. God says, don't worry, Isaiah. I'm still on the throne. God is infinitely powerful, but yet immensely personal. Where was the Lord? 
in all of this despair, the Lord was sitting on his throne, high and lifted up above all earthly thrones. God was still enthroned in heaven and was still in charge of his creation. And church, God is still on his throne. You might be like Isaiah this morning and full of despair and wondering what's next and full of questions of what ifs and God in all his majesty and power wants to remind us that he's still on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things, infinitely powerful, but yet immensely personal. And that's definitely been Nick and I's experience over the last two years of church planting in times of despair, moments of feeling like, what on earth are we doing here? Moments of just feeling complete loneliness. Times of doubt. Times of feeling hurt and let down by our loved ones and closest. And times of feeling like we've let them down. Times of seeing people leave church. Times of seeing local churches close their door. Times where it looks like evil is prevailing. Times where we lost sight of God. But God, full of his mercy and compassion, would come alongside us by his spirit and take a firm hold of us and remind us, take heart. I'm still on my throne ruling and reigning over all things. I am with you. And we know that all, through all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So stand firm, church. Emmanuel Brighton, stand firm. Trust and obey. So of Isaiah being confront, um, comforted that God is still in charge, let's look at where the text goes next. I love this. And the seraphim was standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, he flew. And you see, our creator God, who designed and made every creature, made them suitable for its habitat. Have you ever stood down on the seafront and, and looked around and looked at his creation and look how beautiful it is? And then look at the creatures of that creation and know that they were built for their habitat. If we look at the sea, and if you're into a bit of snorkeling or a bit of deep sea diving, and, and you go under there and you see the beauty of it and the array of different fishes and the different colors and the way they move, and if you stay there long enough, you soon find out you're not built for that habitat. If you're like me and fish just freak you out, and if they touch me, I'm out of that water as soon as I got in it, and it makes me realize I'm not built for that habitat. Or if you've ever stood down at the pier around February and um, it's the time where all the starlings come out and they all fly in unison and they do this just beautiful, magical thing in the air. And you realize, wow, they're built for their habitat. And then you quickly look around and you see people tucking into their ice cream and fish and chips and their beverages of choice and you soon realize they're built for their habitat. And you see these seraphims, these earth, these, these heavenly creatures are built for their habitat. And their habitat 
is heaven. This holy throne room. This holy place where God dwells. And they've had to be built for that habitat. They've had to have two wings to shield their eyes from the blind and blazing glory of God. Just like that account in the New Testament where in, in Acts where Luke tells us where Paul's on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus that he's blinded for three days. He's blinded by the presence of the Most High. You see, these heavenly creatures have to hide their face from the holiness of God. And Isaiah tells us as well that they have to cover their feet. Why? Well, it's just like Moses. It's just like Moses when, when God cries out, Moses, Moses, you're standing on holy ground and Moses is in the middle of a desert and what makes this filthy desert holy? Is it because it's clean? Is it because he's in a clean place? No, he's in a filthy desert. And it's not because the presence of Moses is there because he's not that holy, but it's because God is there. It's God that makes it holy ground. And Moses has to go and wash his feet. And of that ground and that filthy desert was holy. How much more holy is heaven itself? So holy that these heavenly creatures have to hide their feet. So are these seraphims hiding their faces from the glory of the Most High? And if these heavenly creatures hiding their feet because they're standing on holy ground with the other two wings, they did fly. They were built for their habitat. But the amazing thing when we look at this text, it's not the stance of these angels, but it's their it's their message. It's their song that is so significant. And it's this. And one called to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Their song is beautiful. And their song is so true. You know, in our day of age, if we, if we want to communicate something of importance, either in our writing or our posture or our speaking, we'll do these typical things. In our, in our writing, we'll put it in bold or we'll underline it or maybe we'll follow it up with an emoji or in Belfast, we like to stick it on our walls. Or if we want to communicate importance with our posture, we'll clap our hands in the sign of support or gratitude or we'll lift our hands in agreement and as I've seen as a few close friends in here, they um, can communicate their feelings with other hand gestures. And I don't want to get into that right today. And in our speech, we like to communicate things of importance. We'll most likely shout it. Or if you're from Northern Ireland, we'll say things like, like I'm telling you, or so it is. All of these ways are to express importance, so it is. And back in the day, the Jewish community used some of these ways as well. But they also used another method, and that was called reputation. And I reckon if you're married here this morning, you'll know this method very well. And you see, if we want to communicate something really important, you would say it twice. 
And Jesus used this as method as well. He would say, truly, truly, I say unto you. And a little tip, if you're reading your Bible and you see this reputation used by Jesus, listen up. When Jesus gives you the double job, he's saying, there's something important I want to tell you. But it's only in the rarest of circumstances do we see the reputation of importance taken to the third degree. And that's what we're seeing in this text this morning from these message from the seraphims. And they're not saying that God is love, love, love. And they're not saying that God is wrath, wrath, wrath. They're saying God is holy, holy, holy. God is so holy. So Isaiah's standing there in the presence of King Jesus on his throne and with these heavenly creatures protecting themselves from his power and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 4, the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, sure isn't this pretty cool? It's not that often you come across a holy God. Or wow, aren't these just heavenly creatures beautiful? You know, I'm just going to pause here for a wee minute and I'm going to just do that in Snapchat and I'm going to get a picture of that and put it on Insta and then I'm just going to crack on with life. He says, woe is me for I am ruined. In the Hebrew, it means I'm fallen apart because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, I'm ruined. I'm falling apart. We're talking about Isaiah here, the priest who became a prophet, the man who God appointed to speak on his behalf and he is undone by the holiness of God. Woe is me, for I am done. You know, folks, here's what really happened here. For the first time in Isaiah's life, he understood who God really is. And at that same time when he understood who God really is, Isaiah truly understood who he was. When we truly understand how holy, holy, holy God is, it exposes our filthiness. Isaiah, overwhelmed by the holiness of God and with the understanding of his own wickedness and sin, says, I'm going to pieces over here. Standing in the Lord's presence, truly seeing how holy, how set apart, how high and lifted up he is, how he's above every earthly throne. Isaiah is made painfully aware of his sin. And he's broken about it in such a way, in such a different way of rules and lists can't do, in such a way of living a life of people how to tell you. He came into the presence of the Most High, which exposed his sin in a, such a different and profound way that had transformed his life right in that moment. He had an encounter with the most holy and high God. 
It's in the same way that Job and Peter were totally transformed when they were confronted with the presence of the Lord that had completely changed their lives. And after Isaiah acknowledges his sin and realizes that he can't clean himself up no matter how hard he tried, he was left standing in front of a holy, holy, holy God. But God, rich in his mercy, was preparing Isaiah for his cleansing and his commission. God steps in again and reveals his great rescue plan to free and to cleanse us from our sin and shame. For Isaiah in this vision, it was this. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin atoned for. Isaiah could not remove his own guilt. Isaiah could not remove his own sin either with works or good deeds, but only by the atonement that is made possible by the altar, the place of sacrifice. And the purification is spicily applied to the point where Isaiah had said where his sin was. It was his mouth, his lips. And making Isaiah acceptable and blameless in front of a holy, holy God, it comes and touches him and purifies him and cleanses him so he can stand in front of this holy, holy God, blameless and free. Ultimately, God shows us in this passage the altar that was to come. The place of sacrifice where every bit of wickedness and sin and the wrath of God was placed upon and atoned for. The altar where your sin and my sin, past, present and future, was finally dealt with. God shows us the cross of Calvary where Jesus, the perfect, blameless Son of God, hung and died. He paid the sinner's death to pay a price and a ransom for you and for me, that we can enter in to this holy, holy, holy place. It reveals King Jesus stepping down from his throne to enter this sin-sick world, to live the perfect life that we can't do by the laying down of his life, by hanging on a cross and crying out, It is finished! It is finished. It is dealt with. You know, when Jesus hung on that cross and where the wrath of God was placed upon him and every sin was placed upon him, the Father had to turn his head away. And Jesus left, abandoned there, cried out, it is finished. And then took off the cross and buried for three days and then rose victorious, conquering over death and over sin and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me so we can enter in to this holy, holy, holy place. If we put our trust 
in him. Jesus made a way for you and for me into this holy, holy place. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you sitting and watching this, either online or at Shoreham or in Oasis or Hangleton or in Hove or here. God loved you and me so much that he sent his son that if we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him and to set us free. What good news. What good news. It's an awesome thing to come into the presence of a holy, holy God. And I'm convinced that it's the most needful thing right now in our time that we get a vision of God that has a dramatic effect on us and takes a hold of how we live out our lives in worship of him. Not just a superficial, smart Alec relationship with Jesus, but to get a vision and awakening of the greatness and the glory and the holiness of God, to get a vision of the cost that was paid for you and me, where we can step into the presence and cry out day and night that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's so good. So after this awakening of how holy God is and awakening of how infinitely powerful but yet immensely personal he is with us, after this cleansing of sin and shame, what's the response? Well, it's in the text. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. A commissioning to go and tell of this holy, holy God. A commissioning to go and tell of the ransom has been paid that it is finished, that this striving has to stop, that we can rest in the presence of the Holy One because of the work of the cross, a commission to go and tell. I have faith by looking at this text and this message that when we go and plant churches in Amsterdam and in Berlin and in Krakow and in Ottawa and in Belfast and in Bath and plenty more to come. I have faith and we have seen the great and holiness and holy, holy, holy of God that it awakes us, that we can go with confidence and stand firm and say, I am sent by him. This commissioning to go and tell of his good news. If you are with us and you've been stirred and thinking about church planting or about coming and help church plant, pray into it. Because the ask is, 
Who's going to go? The ask is, who's going to go and tell in the workplaces and in the places where we go and hang out and in our families and in our streets and in the cities? The invitation is, who's going to go and tell? I would encourage you to say, I'll go. I'll go. If that's you, we would love to pray with you. Amen.